Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church and our Sunday School lesson. We are uh, on April the 11th. We enjoyed a little bit of a break at Easter. And so teachers, thank you for uh, listening to this and thank you for the work that you do in your classes and in your study and uh, sure hope this helps out a little bit. And uh, we're looking at the New City Catechism and the question for this week is, can anyone keep the law of God perfectly? Well, I know you already know the answer to that, but uh, let's talk about it. I think it's always good to go over some of these things that we already know and that most people think they already know. Sometimes you learn something and then other times you're just reminded of something that maybe you've forgotten or um, hadn't thought about in a long time. Always beneficial uh, if we can do that. And the answer is since the fall, and keep that in mind, since the fall, no mere human has been able to keep the law of God perfectly, but consistently breaks it, here we go, in thought, in word, and in deed. And that was the thing that Jesus wanted to get across to the Pharisees and the people of Israel, that just an outward adherence to the law didn't really mean you were keeping the law because of the thought and the intent of the heart. Now, some people act on that, and it's obvious that they've broken the law of God. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, those type of things, honor thy father and thy mother. Um, we can see that when it happens. But uh, do you remember the old story? Back before seatbelts and child safety seats and all of that, uh, we used to sit up front, uh, maybe in between our parents. Remember cars that had bench seats back then? And sometimes we would stand up. And uh, you can remember, uh, you who are younger can't, but those of you who are my age and dinosaurs like I am, uh, you remember uh, your mom coming up to a stop and putting her hand out like that was going to keep you from going through the windshield. It's amazing that we survived. There's a, a story about a little girl and uh, she was standing up in the seat and her mother said, sit down. And the little girl just ignored her, kept standing up. The mother said, I said, sit down. And the little girl just kind of looked at her mother and then stood up, kept standing. And uh, mom got firm this next time and said, I said, sit down, young lady. And so the little girl sat down, folded her arms, stuck her lip out. And she goes, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. That's the way we approach so many times the law of God as humans. That even though on the outward appearance we are keeping the law, but God looks upon the heart and he sees the rebellion, he sees the desires, and he sees what we really are. We're defiant toward him in our attitude, of course. And so when Jesus said things like, you're not supposed to commit adultery and you've heard that, 
But I say to you, if you look upon a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. You may not do it outwardly, but your desire and your intent is there. You would do it if you could. You would do it if there were no consequences. You would do it if nobody knew and nobody noticed, if it didn't hurt your reputation or anything like that. And so uh, this is what we're talking about. Uh, no mere human since the fall has been able to keep the law of God perfectly, but consistently breaks it in thought, word, and deed. Okay, keep that in mind. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, a part of this is going to be very familiar to you. Uh, probably all of it is, but um, keep in mind that uh, the Apostle Paul, writing here in Romans, gives us just a little bit more than maybe um, we uh, think. It says, none is righteous, no, not one. Okay? And so many times we stop there when we're giving a gospel presentation or something like that. And it uh, doesn't mean that that's wrong. Just saying we stop there and we don't really go on with this. And there are a lot of people that need to understand this. A lot of people in a lot of churches, a lot of preachers need to understand this. Listen to what he goes on to say. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All, all have turned aside. Together they have become I think the King James says unprofitable. Um, this translation, ESV says, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And when it says worthless, it's not talking about worthless as a human or worthless as someone made in the image of God. Um, it just says worthless in terms of righteousness. Worthless in terms of doing anything that pleases God. If that's the standard, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, well then all of our efforts and everything we try to do to make up for that or to make amends for that is all worthless. Only Christ can do that. And he's the one that is worthy. See the way the words work? Worthless on our account, and worthy on his account. Worthy the lamb that was slain. And he's the only one that could pay for our sins. The theologian Millard Erickson says, For if a human is basically good, with intellectual and moral capabilities essentially intact, then any problems with respect to his or her standing before God will be relatively minor. Now let that sink in. Because there are a lot of people who believe that human beings, well, they're basically good. They just are misguided or they don't have enough information or uh, something happened to them when they were a child to damage them. That was Freud's basic premise, wasn't it? that uh, basically we're good unless somebody monkeys with us or messes us up or damages us in some way. And yet the Bible presents something completely different than that. It says that we are flawed and we are fallen and the image of God has been 
shattered and marred in our lives, and that's because of the sin nature that we inherited from Adam. And so the Bible presents us as basically evil, and we are creatures who need to be redeemed, and without redemption, there's no hope for us. Erickson goes on to say, On the other hand, if humans are corrupt or rebellious and thus either unable or unwilling, I would say it's both, to do what is right, a more radical transformation of the person will be needed. Thus, the more severe our conception of sin, the more supernatural the salvation needed. And that's exactly right that we needed a supernatural salvation. We could not save ourselves, and we cannot go with just a try better, do a little bit more, work harder, or anything like that. We uh, understand that this goes to the very heart and the very core of who we are. We don't understand, and we don't seek after God. We've all turned our own way, and we become unprofitable in the way that we live, in the way that we think. And Isaiah even goes on to say that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. When you think about all of the good that's done in the world, when you think about all the philanthropy, when you think about all of the kindness and things that we see out of human beings, uh, these are the expressions of being made in the image of God. But when you think about the motives that people have for doing that, even though we may be thankful for it, there's usually a lot of self-aggrandizement, there's a lot of um, being seen by men, there's a lot of maybe uh, this is good for business, um, this will help my reputation. There's a lot of selfish things that go on behind all of that. It's kind of the way we are because of the fall and because of the corruption of sin in our lives. Let's uh, think about this with point number one. We are born with a desire to sin. Now, any parent ought to instinctively know this. When your child was small and they were held in your arms and you took care of them and you fed them and all of that. They were so sweet. And we said, oh, look at that little angel. Talk to somebody who has a 17 or 18 year old or even worse. We've got some people in our church that could talk to you about their 30 or 40 year old children. And they're not so angelic anymore. You see, the corruption of our sin nature is going to work its way out. You didn't have to teach your child to lie. You didn't have to teach your child to be disrespectful. You didn't have to teach your child to be selfish. All of that works out because that's their nature. When you think about nature, think about, uh, oh, think about a dog and think about a rabbit. If I have a dog and a rabbit, they're both hungry, and I put out um, a dish of food, one's got meat in it, and one has lettuce in it, I can tell you 100% of the time the rabbit will go for the lettuce. It's in his nature. And the dog will go for the meat. It's in his nature to do that. 
And as humans, our nature is to sin. In fact, we're born with a desire to sin. There's something that is pleasurable about it. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about Moses who um, identified with the people of God, the Hebrews, instead of the passing pleasures of sin in Egypt. Uh, sin does bring pleasure. Okay? Anybody that tells you it doesn't is not really being honest about things. It does. It's fun. It's appealing. It's something that we want to do. Very rarely is anything forced upon us like that, if ever. And uh, so when you think about the nature that we have, we, have a, we are born with a desire to sin. That's what it means when it says, none is righteous. If you look at James chapter 1, verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured or drawn away and enticed by his own desire. Uh, the New King James says lust, doesn't it? Or the King James does anyway. And that just means a strong desire. And what is it that happens to us? Well, when it says we are lured away, we are drawn away by our own desires, our own lust, it's a fishing term. And if you've ever been uh, fishing and maybe you've used artificial bait, you want something that will lure the fish in, make him think it's real so that he bites and that he is hooked. You're drawn away by what you want, by what you desire. I've never had a temptation to eat liver. Maybe you have. I haven't. I don't like it. Now, there are other things, though, that I like, and they're very hard to say no to. And there are things that I like to do, and some things I don't like to do. I've never had a temptation to bungee jump. I don't like falling. You know, and some of you may like that. Good for you. But that doesn't appeal to me in the least. In the same way, whenever the enemy tempts us, they are going to cast out the bait. And as that bait hits, they're going to use something that you're going to desire. They've got to have a way to get to you. So they drop the bait. We see it. We want it. And we go after it. And then we're hooked. And uh, this all comes from the basic desire that we have to sin. So uh, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And desire and pride are what the enemy appeals to. Now, when you read the word none, then you understand that it is an all-inclusive term here. Okay? There is none that understands. There's none that seeks after God. I mean, these are really important terms to understand who we are and to understand how God works. When we uh, understand this, we realize that all of us are corrupted and all of us have a desire to sin. We're born with that desire and we are not basically good. It's just a matter of time before it comes out. Secondly, we, can act, we cannot comprehend God or his ways. The Bible says no one understands. This is not a matter of education. 
This is not a matter of indoctrination. This is not a matter of uh, intellectual um, deficiency or something like that. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Do you hear those terms? We talk about being darkened in understanding. That's talking about the way sin affects us mentally. Alienated from the life of God. That's our spiritual condition outside of Christ. And uh, then he uses the word ignorance. There are just things that we didn't know before we were saved. And there are a lot of things we don't know after we're saved too. But we're learning and we're growing in ways that a lost person can't. Remember, these things are spiritually discerned. You've got to know Christ and you've got to have the Holy Spirit as your resident truth teacher to teach you these things or it just doesn't make any sense because of the ignorance that is in them. And what is the condition of our heart? It's a hardened heart and uh, our heart rebels. It stiffens up. It stands against any movement that might take us any way that we don't want to go. And that's why the Lord has to overcome our will and overcome our stubbornness. And that's why he draws us to himself. And that's why no one comes except the Father draw him. And uh, those that drawing, according to, uh, I believe it's in the book of Hosea, uh, it's with cords of love. The Lord loves you and the Lord draws you to himself. So salvation is not more mere in, uh, education or indoctrination. Um, the Holy Spirit must regenerate us. We've got to be made spiritually alive. Thirdly, we instinctively go the wrong way. Instinctively go the wrong way. The Bible says no one seeks for God. No one seeks for God. Boy, I am amazed at how many times we hear churches talk about the seekers that are, uh, you know, in the congregation. Do they not read their Bible? I'm amazed when I hear Christians talk about, well, this person's really seeking the right way and they're seeking after God. Well, if they are, it's only because God is working in their life and they're being drawn to him. But that's God that's doing it. In fact, when you think about the parables in the Gospel of Luke and you think about the prodigal son, it was the father who went out after the son, the father who ran to meet the son. When you think about the lost coin, it was the woman who sought for the coin. When you think about the lost sheep, it was the shepherd who sought after the sheep, not the other way around. And we instinctively go the wrong way. No one seeks for God. How about Isaiah 53, 6? All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, that's Christ, the iniquity of us all. He's the suffering substitute to pay for our sins. So all of us go our own way, and Scripture teaches that our own way leads to destruction. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. It seems right. 
it feels right, all of the conditions make it look favorable. I think about um, in the book of Acts when the apostle Paul uh, was on trial and he said, I appeal to Caesar. Well, then uh, that changed everything. He had to go to Rome. And you remember that he was uh, taken on a ship as a prisoner. And uh, he told the captain, this is a bad time to sail. But the captain said, what does a preacher know? And he looked around as an experienced sailor and all of the conditions seemed favorable, right? And what happened? Well, they ended up in a shipwreck and the apostle Paul is able to minister to them and um, encourage the people that are on the ship. It's a fascinating story. But I always think about that when I think about these verses. Everything felt right. It appear, appeared right. All of his experience told him it's a good time to sail, and uh, yet um, it wasn't. And the man of God told him it wasn't, and what did he do? He ignored it, and he went his own way because there's a way that seems right to man, but it leads to destruction. Proverbs 14, 12 again. Number four, let's finish up here. We cannot navigate our way back. Even when a sinner kind of gets the idea, I've made a mistake, I've messed up. And we see this with people who end up as alcoholics or drug addicts. Um, maybe they have a financial collapse, uh, relationships fall apart, marriages fall apart. I mean, lost people understand that. When they lose their children to rebellion, they understand and they hurt in all of that. And they say, I want to make amends and I want to, I want to make my way back. Well, apart from God, you know what happens? Scripture says in Romans 3, all have turned aside. It's amazing to me that no matter what it is that we know, whatever it is we think, whatever it is, <coughs> excuse me, springtime in Oklahoma, whatever it is, we feel all of those things. We have this tendency to take the wrong exit. We have a tendency to turn the wrong way. Have you ever known anyone that just, I mean, it's just almost instinctive that they're going to get lost, that they're going to go the wrong way. Well, that's what the Apostle Paul is saying that lost humanity does apart from God. We find ourselves in a jam. We understand how bad life is. We hurt, and yet we'll try everything but the right thing. We'll go every way except the right way. And uh, we do that instinctively. It's uh, very sad. And yet it's very, very true. Even the Apostle Paul wrote about this in his famous, uh, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> wretched man passage, Romans 7, 15. This is the Apostle Paul of all people. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. 
And uh, this means that even as a Christian, we have to battle the depravity that resides in us and the tendency that lost humanity has. We have that tendency as well. The difference is we have the Holy Spirit and we have a new nature and we know the Word of God. And uh, so we're without excuse on these things. But nonetheless, there are times when we get off track because of sin and we're powerless to do what we ought to do and to please God. And the only way we get back, the only way we make it right, the only way that we get forgiveness, the only way we get a new start is to repent of our sins and to turn to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as believers, we use 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that, by the way, is the mark of a person who is truly converted. Somebody who is just a fake, they continue on in their sin and they don't know any different and they defend themselves and they may curtail their outward actions, but they really don't confess sin or agree with God about their sin. And uh, the word if in that verse could be translated since, which means that for uh, the mark of a Christian is since we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And none of us that are truly born again would claim to ever be everything that we are. We know that we're not. None of us who were truly born again would uh, find comfort in just merely covering up our sin or making sure nobody finds out about it. Because the truth of the matter is in Psalm 51, David said, against you and you only have I sinned. And you can't run from God. And you can't as a Christian run from the Holy Spirit who brings conviction about all of this. And so when we think about a true believer, what does he do? A true believer is not someone who never sins, for we all sin. A true believer is the one who confesses his sin. And God is faithful and just to forgive those who are confessing their sins. What does confess mean? Well, it doesn't mean simply naming all of your sins. You don't even know every sin that you confess until it comes forth by the Holy Spirit revealing it. But you confess what you know, and how do you do that? The word confess is homo legeo, means same and uh, speak, same speak, same words. In other words, I confess my sins not so much when I name them or even admit when I'm wrong. Anybody can do that, put in the right circumstances. The idea is I agree with God about that sin. When I was doing it, when I was involved in it, when I was thinking about it, when I was planning for it, it seemed like the right thing to do. It's going to make me happy. It's what I need to do. I couldn't help it. It overwhelmed me. What else was I supposed to do? You know, all those things that we say. But when we confess our sins, 
we're agreeing with God. This was my way, led to destruction. Now I want to go your way. Understand this, a lost person can't do that. Only a saved person can, because we all go our own way instinctively. And if you talk to a lost person and they say, well, I uh, know that I'm, I've made a mess out of my life and I'm going to fix it. Boy, you just wait and see, I'm going to fix it. Most of the time, they don't. Sometimes they do outwardly, but they always go the wrong way. They go toward works, they go toward human achievement, and they always go away from God. You and I, though, we turn to the Lord, we depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit as God lives and works through us. We yield to Him gladly, and what does He do? He cleanses us from all unrighteousness, and He leads us in the way everlasting. So, does anyone keep the law of God perfectly? No, not since the fall. Not since Adam ate of the fruit. And it says in the answer, no mere human. Why is that? Because the Lord Jesus Christ was a human. But he was no mere human. He was God in human flesh. And he was able to keep the law perfectly. And why did he do that? Because we couldn't. He did it to the glory of his Father so that he could be the sinless sacrifice on the cross for our lawlessness for our straying, for our ignorance, for our lack of understanding. All of those things that Paul writes about in Romans chapter 3, let's not forget, that was us before we were saved. But God has done a great thing in you and for you in saving you, giving you His Spirit, making your spirit alive, that new nature that you have, you can understand the Word of God, and you can live in the power of Jesus. You can live to the glory of God, and that's the transformation that only God can make. So, child of God, rejoice in that, and be compassionate toward those who are lost. Share the gospel with them. Pray for them. Do good to them so that they can see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. There's the great commission and the great commandment all wrapped up together. Tell others about Jesus and love God and love your neighbor with all your heart. Thank you for your time. And uh, I appreciate you all who are watching this because you weren't able to go to Sunday school. God bless you. I'm glad you did this. And again, teachers, for those of you who are listening to this, I hope this helps you to understand what I'm thinking and to have a little bit more clarity as you do your own study for your own class. God bless, and thank you once again.